Chapter 22. Seeing the ocean was like seeing grass for the first time. I'd been lost for a while, wandering unfamiliar lanes. When I first realized I didn't know where I was, I tried to retrace my steps back to Maggie's, but I ended up somewhere else entirely. I tried letting Butter show me the way, but every time I gave him his head, he put it down and started to graze. He was no use. I kept moving, searching for something familiar. Finally, I saw a long, tall hill and climbed it, thinking perhaps I could recognize Miss Smith's house, or at least the village, from above. Instead, I saw, stretched out in the distance, an endless carpet of blue and gray. Clouds floated over it, and small white things seemed to flicker on the surface of it. But mostly, it was like grass, flat and broad and unchanging except that it went on forever, farther out than I could see. It did. It made me feel lost and shivery looking at it. I stared and stared. What could it be? Eventually, I pulled my gaze down from it, and there was the village. I recognized the church spire, so close to that gray-blue expanse. How had I not known? I made my way down the hill, scrabbling through rough, tall grass, but keeping Butter's head in the direction of the steeple. Then we found a road and kept going. Pretty soon I was riding right along the middle of the main street. The village was quiet, the shops all shut up. The sky was getting dark, and of course not a light showed anywhere. Above me came the roar of an airplane. At home, Miss Smith and Jamie rushed out the door when they saw Butter and me walking up the lane. I didn't mean to, I said. I got lost, Miss Smith said. I thought you'd fallen off that pony and was lying dead in a ditch somewhere. Jamie's face went white. I wouldn't have died, I said. I went around to the back to take care of Butter. Jamie helped me. How was school, I asked. He shrugged. Teacher let you use your left hand? Only because Susan made her. She still thinks I've got the mark of the devil. He held my hand as we walked back to the house. When you weren't here, Susan didn't say you were dead in a ditch. See, she said you were probably having a nice time and I shouldn't worry. He paused. She was worried, though. I could tell. I snorted. She doesn't need to worry, nor you. Dinner was waiting. I fell to eating, so hungry that for a few minutes I didn't think of anything else. Then I said, I saw something strange from the top of the hill. Far away like grass stretched out on a long way and flat but different blue and gray when the sun hit it it looked shiny that's the ocean miss miss said the english channel i told you before we weren't far from it i stared at her i wanted to say she hadn't told me anything i wanted to say she'd crippled my pony ignoring him i wanted to say she should have showed us the ocean she should have taken us there i wanted to say She never needed to worry about either of us. She didn't need to bother. I could take care of Jamie, and I could take care of myself. I always had. I wanted to say a lot of things, but as usual, I didn't have the words for the thoughts inside my head. I dropped my head and went back to eating. Did Grimes help you? Miss Smith asked. Yes, I said rudely through a mouthful of food. Why wouldn't Butter trot? I swallowed. I took a deep breath. I said, because you crippled him. Miss Smith looked up sharp. Explain. I didn't want to talk, but eventually she got the whole story out of me. She sighed. 
Well, I am sorry. It was ignorance, not deliberate abuse, but that's never an excuse, is it? She reached out to pat my arm, but I jerked away. I understand why you're angry with me, she said. I'd be angry too. After dinner, she marched me out to the pasture. She made me show her what Butter's feet looked like now and tell her how they had been. She made me tell her what else Grimes had taught me, and then she went into the storage room and looked at all the tack. It's awful having to face your own shortcomings, she said. Did Butter feel better after he had his feet fixed? They're not fixed, I said. They won't be fixed for weeks and weeks. And I don't know how he felt. I got lost. She nodded. You must have been scared, scared and angry. Of course not, I said, though I had been, at least until I'd seen the sea. Of course I wasn't scared. Angry, Susan said, putting her arm around me. No, I said through clenched teeth, but I was. Oh, I was. Chapter 23. The Royal Oak Sank. She was a Royal Navy battleship. She was torpedoed by a German submarine which anchored off the coast of Scotland, and 833 of the over 1,200 men on her died. We heard about it on the radio, which we listened to most nights. The next Saturday, Susan decided to take us to the movies. It was the first time Jamie and I had ever been. We sat down on the plush seats like other people's chair, like our purple chairs at home. And before we knew it, the whole wall in front of us had become a giant moving picture. Music played, and a man's voice started to talk about the war. I thought we were going to watch a story, not stuff about the war. Other than the silly posters and the sandbags that lay piled near some of the road intersections, you'd hardly know there was a war. Hadn't been any bombs. But now here was a picture of an enormous ship rolling onto its side, while black smoke poured out of holes in its hull. The picture was so big and so horrible, and it got worse when the solemn voice talking about the royal oak said that over a hundred of the dead were young boys. I looked at Jamie sitting on Susan's other side. I want to go home, I whispered. Shh, Susan said. The newsreel will be over in a minute. Then they'll show the story. I want to go home, I said more loudly. Don't start, Susan said. Don't start, Jamie echoed. I didn't, but I plugged my ears and I shut my eyes, and I stayed that way until Susan nudged me to let me know the picture story was starting. Even then, I couldn't quit thinking about the burning ship and the boys that died. I had nightmares from the pictures. Jamie wet the bed, but he always did, every night still. I had dreams of fire and smoke and being tied to my chair, my little chair in our flat at home. I couldn't walk and I couldn't move and I screamed. Jamie woke and cried and Susan came at a run. So that was a little too overwhelming, Susan said the next morning. She looked tired and cross, but she usually looked cross in the mornings. I avoided her gaze. I didn't know what she meant by overwhelming. A little too much, Susan said. Of course it was too much. It was 833 men too much, Susan sighed. Next time we go to the movies, we'll wait in the lobby until the newsreel's over. I assume that the radio's still okay. I nodded. The radio didn't come with pictures. 
Jamie told Susan his teacher still thought he had the devil in him, and because of that, we had to start going to church on Sundays. Of course you haven't got the devil in you, she said, but if you go, it'll give the gossips one less thing to talk about. Besides, I've been feeling guilty about neglecting your religious education. She made us go, but she didn't. She went the first time only to show us how you had to sit in the pew and stay quiet unless there was singing or words to say, in which case we still sat quiet because we didn't know the songs or the words. A man up front read stories and then talked a long time, and Jamie got in trouble for kicking the pew. That was what the benches were called, pews. Jamie thought it was a funny word. The whole next week, he held his nose and said pew every time he sat down. After the first Sunday, Susan walked us to the church then took a walk through the village and picked us up on her way back. She said churches and her didn't agree. You said your father worked in the church, I said, scowling on our way home the second Sunday. The lady beside Jamie and me had spent the whole sitting down part of the service staring at us, and I hadn't liked it at all. Miss Smith looked tight-lipped. Yes, my father has made it clear he doesn't think I can be redeemed. Jamie said, what's that mean, redeemed? In my case, being redeemed means changing my evil ways and regaining my heavenly crown. It means my parents don't like me. And yes, my father's still alive. My mother died. Oh, Jamie threw a rock and hit a fence post half a block away. Our ma'am doesn't like us either, especially Ada. She hates Ada. Ada's not redeemed. I flinched. Maybe I am now. Maybe now I can walk. Not without crutches, Jamie said. You've still got that ugly foot. Jamie, Susan said. You apologize, Jamie said. But she does. Her foot isn't ugly, Miss Smith said. What a horrid thing to say. And Ada, you've done nothing wrong. Your foot is not your fault. You don't need to be redeemed. I watched the tips of my crutches as we went down the road. Crutches, good foot, crutches, good foot. Ugly foot skimming along in the air. Always there, no matter what anyone said. Chapter 24. Butter galloped. He trotted first, and that was so bouncy I had to hold on to his mane so I didn't fall off. But I kept kicking him, and he trotted faster and faster until suddenly everything evened out and he was cantering. If I kept kicking him from there, he went faster still until my eyes watered and the wind made noise in my ears. That was galloping. It was the best. I tried to jump the stone wall of Butter's pasture. I galloped him the length of the field, hard as I could, and steered him right toward the wall. He got close, closer, and slammed his feet into the ground. He stopped dead. I kept going, straight over his ears. I missed hitting the base of the wall, but not by much. Susan came running into the field. I hadn't known she was watching me. Stop that, she said. I looked at her. Butter was snorting and tossing his head, and I figured I'd better have another go at the wall quickly before I lost my nerve. You don't have the first clue what you're doing, Susan continued. You get on over to Fred Grimes and tell him to teach you something before you get yourself killed. Putting that poor pony at a three-foot wall when he's hardly ever jumped in his life? He hasn't, I asked. I figured all horses knew how to jump walls. Jonathan's horse hadn't had any trouble with it. 
He hasn't, she said. She rubbed the end of Butter's nose. You'll hurt him if you aren't careful. You'll scare him, and that'll put him off jumping forever. Not to mention what it might do to you. She should talk about hurting the pony, ignoring him until he was practically crippled. He'd been better as soon as his hooves were trimmed. Better the very next day. Yes, I know what you're thinking, she continued, but I know what he needs now and I won't hurt him again. You know what you need now too, because I'm telling you, you get on over to Fred Grimes. So I went over to see Fred in the stables behind Maggie's house. He agreed to watch me ride and helped me for a bit of time after his lunch two days a week. In exchange, I'd work for him the rest of the afternoon. Susan gave me a map she'd drawn and showed me how to trace my road on it so I wouldn't be lost again. I tied my crutches to the back of the saddle so I had them for doing chores. Fred taught me how to kick less. He taught me to use one leg only to ask for a canter so that I didn't have to get bounced by the trot. He tried to teach me to post to the trot, to rise and fall to the motion smoothly without bouncing, but that was hard with only one stirrup. He taught me more about steering, and when he was happy with my progress, he set up little poles in the field beyond the stable yard and had me practice going over them. It was a long way for jumping the stone wall. Fred said I wasn't to try that on butter until he told me I was ready. Stephen White's colonel sent another invitation to tea. I declined. Idiot girl, Susan grumbled. Meanwhile, the war had become an endless stream of pamphlets the government sent through the mail. How to wear your gas mask. Why to carry your gas mask. How not to get hit by a car in the blackout. You could carry a flashlight if you covered over the glass with tissue, tissue paper. You should paint curbs white so people driving the cars could see them. Why you should give the government your excess pots and pans. They wanted to make planes from them. Susan refused to do it. She said she had exactly as many pans as she needed. This made Jamie so upset that eventually she relented and gave him an old nasty chip pan to turn in. There weren't any bombs. What there were was German submarines circling all of England trying to blow up any ships heading in or out of her harbors. This was a big problem, Susan said because England didn't grow enough food. Most of the food English people ate was shipped in from other countries. Already there was less food in the shops, and what was there cost more, though Susan said some of that was because the summer was over. We wouldn't see as many fresh fruits and vegetables until next spring. You never saw anyone more interested in fruits and vegetables than Susan. We were all the time having to eat strange things. Brussels sprouts, turnips, leeks, peaches, which I loved, but also prunes, which I didn't. Prunes came in cans and were slimy going down. Every week that went by without bombs, more evacuees returned to London. Even the ones living with Lady Thornton had gone. In the village, Lady Thornton fussed about it, but she couldn't stop parents from sending for their children. London will be bombed, she insisted. Ma'am never wrote. So Susan was still stuck with us. When I said so, she gave me an odd look. Your mother's smart to keep you here where you're safe, she said. But I wish she'd answer my letters. I find her silence hard to understand. 
By the start of November, so many children had returned to London that Jamie's teacher left too. His class was combined with the other primary class. His new teacher didn't think he had the devil in him. She said so. She didn't care at all if he wrote with his left hand. He still wet the bed. I thought it was mostly habit by now. Susan had a rubber sheet to protect the mattress, but she was tired of cleaning the regular sheets. I was tired of waking up to the dampness and the smell. Neither of us said so to Jamie. He was ashamed, I knew. Lady Thornton wanted Susan to join the Women's Volunteer Service, the WVS. She came to tea and told Susan she needed her help. No one needs my help, Susan said. Besides, I'm busy taking care of these children. Lady Thornton cut her eyes at me. Jamie was at school, but I'd come in from the pasture to have tea. It wasn't one of my days for helping Fred. This one doesn't seem to need much care, Lady Thornton said. You'd be surprised, Susan said. I felt cross. I didn't need her. Plus, she still spent part of each day lying around staring at nothing. I said, it's not like you have a proper job. Susan glared at me. Lady Thornton laughed out loud. Then Lady Thornton said, gesturing to the sewing machine still set up in the corner of the room, we could use you to sew bed jackets for soldiers. All sorts of sewing, actually. Susan shook her head. You all don't like me, she said. The women in this village never liked me. Lady Thornton pressed her lips together. She set her teacup down. That's not true, she said. Susan looked cross. Don't be patronizing, she said. Becky got along with your set because of the horses, but that's all. You never gave anyone a chance, Lady Thornton said. Most of the village came to the funeral. Oh, the funeral. Bunch of nosy busybodies. I think you should make an effort, Lady Thornton said. You might be surprised. And it's good to be seen helping the war effort. Don't you agree? This isn't the time to be isolationist. I had been listening closely. I asked, what's that mean? Lady Thornton said, an isolationist is someone who doesn't support the war, someone who wants us to stand apart, someone who doesn't care about things. I said, but she doesn't care about things. Susan looked like I'd slapped her. How can you say that? Of course I do. I shrugged. Is feeding you three meals a day not caring for you? She demanded. No, don't you look away. You look at me, Ada. When I confronted Jamie's teacher, wasn't that caring for him? Who knew she'd get so wound up? I tried to look away, but she put her hand under my chin and turned my face back toward her. Wasn't it? She insisted. I didn't want to answer, but I knew she wouldn't let go of me until I did. Maybe, I said at last. She released me and turned back to Lady Thornton, who was looking amused. I'll join, she said. As soon as Lady Thornton left, Susan told me off. What did you mean by complaining that I haven't got a proper job? What sort of job do you expect me to have? I shrugged. It surprised me how she could go on buying food without working, even though she did not get paid for taking us. Ma'am works in the pub, I said. Well, I'm not doing that, she said. I did try to get a job when I first moved here with Becky. No one would have me. Oxford degree or not, any position I was qualified for was reserved for men. Can't have a woman stealing a man's job now, can we? I didn't understand why we were having this conversation. Oh, she continued, me and the WVS, all those wretched do-gooders. What nonsense. Why do soldiers need bed jackets, I asked. 
I wasn't sure what a bed jacket was. Who knows, Susan said. They're for hurt soldiers, I'd say. Ones that have to go to a hospital. I hadn't heard of any hurt soldiers. The ones that get blown up in the ocean fall into the water and die, I said. I suppose so, Susan said, shuddering. But there are different kinds of battles. Some hurt soldiers survive. A few days later, Susan got her WVS uniform. She put it on to go to her first meeting. She looked nice in it. She wore stockings and leather shoes with heels. Quit staring, she said, as she pulled on her gloves. You could come with me, a junior member, or perhaps a token evacuee. I shook my head. While she was gone, I thought I might try out the sewing machine or cook something. The weather was wretched. I didn't want to ride. Why are you scared? I asked her. She made a face. All those proper housewives. I don't fit in. I never have. You've got the uniform, I said. She made another face. True, but it's not the outside that counts. Not with that group. Oh, well. She went away to her meeting. I stayed home and broke her sewing machine.